thing up this week is, is Apple Pay Cash, and I don't think you have Apple Pay Cash, Mayo. I don't want to call you. Mwah, that. Mwah, mwah. Apple, yeah, when did that launch? Like 2017, probably, and it's still only in America. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is actually something that at the time there was uh, like immediate speculation about international rollout and stuff, and I actually spoke to some people in the. Well, they were actually like. Is a complete tangent, but they were literally in like discussions to be acquired by Apple at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't mention who it is just in case they're still private and stuff. But the the acquisition never went through. But basically, oh. they were in the financial services area, right? Um, and they uh, and Apple Pay Cash came out, and I was talking to him about like um the feasibility of doing this kind of service worldwide. And he, what he said basically is that. Everything that they've done legally, infrastructurally on the bank side to roll out in America has zero, almost zero relevancy for going international, i.e. it's going to be a massive pain for them to do international and you shouldn't (laughs) expect it to come anytime soon. That being said, I didn't expect that it would be now five years on and they're still only US only. Um, Even for like the basics, because, you know, it'd be really nice if I could have an Apple Pay Cash account, you could have an Apple Pay Cash account, mine would be in pounds, yours would be in dollars. When you send money, it just automatically converts and, you know, does the exchange rate, ideally with no fees. Like all of that um, kind of flummery on the edges would be really nice for international transfers. But I wasn't expecting that necessarily, but I was at least thinking by now, the UK or Canada or some other country will be able to do domestic transfers between themselves, but they literally have gone nowhere with it. Maybe the um, story from Bloomberg a couple of weeks ago project about them wanting to, yeah. wanting to do, yeah, yeah, project breakaway, yeah. where they want to do more financial services stuff in-house. Maybe that's going to lead to some international thing, but maybe they only do US operations in-house in financial services, who knows, but I hope they do it internationally, although it is true that the feature is obviously useful, over here and but we do have other options because i think one of the big problems in america is like you know in in britain the banking apps make it really easy to just send money to each other and it's not as easy as being an iMessage right or using siri or using the apple pay cash thing but we can transfer money between friends and family they're quite easy using all the bank apps with basically no fees and stuff whereas in america i think it's more complicated that's why venmo and services like that are also much more popular in america anyway apple pay cash should be international it's not the news this week is that the card provider, so the, the the merchant bank is Green Dot, right? And that's that's what's actually holding the money on file for each person. But in addition to the bank, you also need the card network to make this thing work because what Apple Pay Cash is essentially is a virtual debit card. And up to now, the Apple Cash card has been uh, run, or I guess the network is Discover, and it seems that now they are transitioning so the Apple Pay Cash card will now be Visa instead. Which I guess is good because Discover's a smaller company and a smaller network and Visa's accepted in a lot more places, you'd say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I guess the three you're looking at are, are Discover, Visa, and MasterCard. And I think MasterCard is what the... American Apple- Express, right? That's another one. Sure, yeah. And, yeah. And I believe MasterCard is what Goldman Sachs uses on the Apple card. So, mm-hmm. so uh, say for American Express, we're using all of these now in some way. Uh, but the the thing with Discover is is you're right that it's it's the the network is is not nearly as large, and so um, I've I've not had an issue. I don't I don't use the virtual Apple Pay cash card in places very often, um, but I have used it like to pay for gas sometimes when when I've got a balance on there and I'm at a gas pump and it's got. Um, an Apple Pay, you know, reader on it. Then I'll I'll just say oh, I'll just use this for for this gas, you know. 
Um, but um, I, I, you know, you, I guess you do fine. I think the difference is like 100% versus like 97%. So, you know, mm-hmm. the, it, 3% of the time you, you may have an issue with, with that, that not being accepted. Um, so now you'll have a, and, that, and I believe that's in the U S I think once you go internationally, then it's um, visas just everywhere and discovers not that. Um, yeah. So, so they, they changed the back end and, um, you know, I think the way that it was really noticed initially was that the, the, the Apple Pay Cash, like virtual debit card itself, is something that we all think is pretty cool looking. It's not a physical card, unlike the Apple card, but um, it, it's got a pretty cool design in that when you hold your phone and you've got the wallet app open on, on the iPhone, um, it's got like a, um, this shiny film to it as if it were mm-hmm. an actual physical object and you move it in your hand and it moves around. And so it's very pretty. It's got like these, these uh, arrows pointing and, you know, going out and, and uh, you know, making a, a half circle out of the bottom. And um, it's Apple's design. It looks nice. You, you know, you tap into it because it's not a, an actual debit card. Um, you, don't, you don't have to worry about any of the things like your name or the, the um, expiration date or, you know, things like that written on top of it. It's just Apple's branded virtual card. Well, uh, when they changed to Visa, which is um, practically a good thing, because I don't think there's any downsides to that, except that, Probably seem to require that they add, that they add the Visa debit logo on the on the front of the card on the bottom right, which is standard. And it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it's it's like you would um because that the design of it is like it's a black debit card with the the arrows coming from the bottom. If they were coming from the top, for example, and it was the Visa debit is in the bottom right, like where its standard location is, it wouldn't matter if it were empty there. But because that's because yeah, it wouldn't like overlap with each other. Yeah, that's the only part that actually is designed is that bottom you know half of the card, and so. It gets stamped right there and breaks the pattern. And um, I mean, it carries the effect, I guess, still where it does the, the color effect, but um, it's weird. And initially it was like new cards. If you did it, if you signed up for a new Apple Pay Cash account, then you were issued an, a new virtual debit card. And, and that was through Visa. Um, and if you you know had one before last week, it was Discover. And I'm not sure if that's still the case or not, but what I did find was that just in the user interface, so if I if I go to um, transfer money to the Apple Pay Cash card, just to have a balance there, then the the user user interface for like add money would show me the Visa debit. So I don't know if it's got you, yeah. Practically, the account level has changed to Visa as a card issue or not, but from what I can what I see so far myself is that in the wallet app. The main card doesn't have the bad logo <laughs> and then function like if, if you go to any new UI where it's like, you know, I don't know, probably loading in or something, then it shows mm-hmm. the, the visa part. And so uh, it's a little, little mishmash there. But um, yeah, I think if you're an existing Apple Cash customer, you can force change to the visa network by regenerating the account number, I think. Yeah, that's what I read. I Obviously, I don't have it, so I haven't tried it, but that is what I suppose you've read. And I'm not sure if the visa debit logo thing is on the non-beta channel i think it might be beta only and like because it's not like downloaded or whatever it's just like a local thing yeah, i don't know i'm not i'm not running yeah. a beta right now on my phone and i so I, I i did see it whenever i went to add money to the to the card um i just wanted to add you know have a dollar amount on the apple pay cash card and i went to do that and then it shows you like a tiny version of the card is like this is yeah the tiny little logo one that image is downloaded from a network but yeah. the, like the card representation in the wallet thing like gotcha. that i think is just local only for the apple cash card yeah it's just a yeah ultimately i don't care either way what i mean I, but it is it is sort of a dang whoever designed that you know 
to have to go and add that logo over it. <laughs> it's yeah, my, my take is Visa must have given them a much better rate than Discover for having to part with that massive logo <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, pr- practically, you're better off with, with Visa as your card. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna be accepted in you know all the places instead of most of the places. But um, th- for that design, though, you know, if if they have to keep have that in mind, then I think you'd want to maybe redesign that <laughs> so it wasn't yeah maybe apple should just shift the semicircle over so it's further to the left so it yeah that's what i was thinking was instead of a half circle have it be like go from the left bottom left corner to the top right mm-hmm. corner. yeah 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 very important with with uh financial you know digital finances to have a yeah exactly that's design. the most important that's the most important characteristic for yes, sure yes. and of course in iOS, we spoke about this in previous weeks iOS 5.5 they keep doing little changes to the apple cash interface the switch from Discover to Visa is clearly in part of that. Maybe there's some other bigger features about to be announced. It definitely feels like they're they're pushing too many buttons and changing too many knobs in that area for it just to be like, you know, general maintenance. So there's probably some feature change coming there, probably more significant than switching from Discover to Visa. Yeah, I wasn't sure if, if that part was like strictly because Green Dot, if that was part of, you know, just Apple happened to be in, you know, in part of that line of command. But um what what it what the you know you, you do see in the fifteen point five beta version of iOS right now is in the wallet app you can from that virtual debit card you know functioning right now in fifteen point four and earlier it's just it's a virtual debit card you Apple Pay with it and that's it in the um, wallet app you you send money back and forth or excuse me in the messages app you send money back and forth with the with the um, Apple Pay iMessage app or you can use Siri but um with with the wallet app in 15.5 beta there's buttons for sending and receiving or requesting at least so which, which you know regardless of if they're doing anything bigger than that like that's just like functionally kind of what you expect what yeah that should have been there for 5 years yeah, i never thought about like why why isn't this there because you could do it in iMessage and of course apple's got it you know in you know if you're venmo you have to put it in your app because you can't just rely on the iMessage app but but you know at, at the same time if you expect it to be in in the in a single app like venmo or cash then um it makes sense for wallet to have the same thing all in one app you know even if you have your your own operating system and you can put it in other places so it's a good change yeah my theory around that is they're probably going to integrate with the the tap to pay stuff for person to person by like tapping your phone to the back so that's why some of the ui is changing around we have to wait to see if that's confirmed or not and also in the apple pay kind of area the eu commission is back again they are apparently set to announce new charges against apple for monopolistic and anti-competitive practices this time in regard to apple pay and basically their dominance over the nfc chip in the iphone uh, last year they opened an official uh, charges for music streaming saying apple unfairly favored apple music over spotify and other rival streaming services uh, there's also a video game, mobile games market investigation under, underway by the EU. But this latest one is about Apple Pay. We knew this was um, being prepared, and it's basically the Financial Times said that they're going to be ready to actually announce this formally next week. Maybe it might be slightly later the next week, but around you know the next week or so. This is basically over uh, the claim that Apple locks out other mobile payment systems, and by that they mean other contactless card payment systems because. Apple's the only one who's able to use the NFC chip for contactless payments using the standards. Third-party apps are not allowed access to the NFC chip for that purpose. The APIs don't allow it. The APIs are also locked down in other ways, like you can't really do background access with the NFC chip as a third-party app, only in very specific like activation circumstances, like opening a link. And if you do that in the background, it can bring your app to the front. But doing something like a payment flow is more complicated. 
and that is not supported. Only Apple is has the ability for when your iPhone is held over a payment terminal, their Apple Pay interface comes up, and obviously then you can do Apple Pay. If you're a third-party payment provider, say MasterCard or Visa, or do you remember back in the day all the Australian banks were getting annoyed about Apple, pay, Apple Pay's dominance? They can't, if they, even if they wanted to, which a lot of them do want to, they can't offer a rival to Apple Pay at the moment because Apple doesn't offer the sufficient access to the system. Apple says this is for privacy and security reasons. The EU says that it is blocking out a competitive market from occurring, and hence there are going to be charges and remedies and another five years of court cases over this matter. To, and, to and future headline, Apple-funded study finds that Apple Pay is the least popular because that's what they love they love the studies yeah that's what they've done with the app store every time it's like we're not dominant on the iphone even though we're built in we're not popular no way and then what was the one this week because the 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 the, the not dominant apps one was a couple of weeks back and then this week it was was that that the the att the app tracking transparency stuff does not bolster it doesn't impact the uh, app store search business so they still search ads on the app store right so that they can sell ads and they're not trying to just bolster their ads business by making the other ads businesses worse yeah right? they, they say no our ad is still bad it doesn't matter <laughs> all these are self yeah. all these apple funded studies are self-deprecating just to make their point that they're not a monopoly or they're not you know uh abusing their power <laughs> i know every company does it and like it's just what you do but the fact that you can just fund a study as a company and then you have the prerogative to publish it or not based on the findings is just mm-hmm. stupid because it's like you're never going to publish a study that is not found in your favor so it's like what's the point in the whole thing it's just a weird pr charade i guess but maybe maybe some court somewhere it does actually impact and that's where they do it but i don't pay any attention to them really apart from to laugh at them because they're just <laughs> stupid it's like what, what's it going to say it's not going to say that they have been anti-competitive because it's an apple funded study you know it's just stupid this week happy hour is brought to you by collide collide sends important and timely security recommendations to your employees right inside of slack That means they get custom security advice and information as Slack alerts appropriate for Mac, Windows, and Linux devices. Get started by visiting collide.com slash happy hour to sign up today. And as a happy hour listener, you can get some free swag by signing up. So don't forget to enter your email address when you're prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. Collide is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to overstep and be so invasive that they merely lock down employee devices to the point of them being essentially unusable. So instead of frustrating the people that work for you, Collide is an educational tool teaching security and device management practices and directing them to fix important problems. This includes things like getting developers to set up passphrases for unencrypted SSH keys, securely storing two-factor authentication codes rather than just having them written down on a post-it note, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may be invading their privacy and selling their browser history to third parties. You can try Collide with all of its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. So get started at collide.com slash happy hour today. That's spelt K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash happy hour. Collide.com slash happy hour. Enter your email at that URL to get a free swag goodie bag after signing up to a trial. One more time, collide.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Collide for sponsoring the show. Ah, thanks, Collide. Next up, we've got the App Store, and uh, I saw this over the weekend um, going around where people were unhappy that their their, uh, their their completed apps were being removed from the App Store because they were no longer being updated. 
And um, this this seems to happen every few years. That mm-hmm. I, I don't think it happens that they make that they start the purge every few years or so, but but that uh, it makes it, it surfaces on social media. Uh, it, you know, Apple will send out an email and and to developers so, and and then it becomes you know, becomes a story. Um, but but I'm not mistaken that this this is sort of re- is this is sort of constantly happening, right? Yeah, I think it. <laughs> I don't think they're doing it like continuously, like every single day, but in waves every few months or something. And for whatever reason, around about now, a lot of developers have got an email about this all in one go. This policy of removing old apps just because they haven't been updated, I believe this started in 2016. Do you remember when they had that kind of like app store overhaul when they added the Today tab and Phil Schiller announced this other stuff like subscriptions and search ads? That was the beginning of search ads there. They did the app store redesign. And they added the ability for developers to reset their reviews and ratings. Like they added all sorts of different things, including video previews as well, not just screenshots. And one of the policy changes in that was that they were going to start to curate the App Store more heavily by um, removing obsolete, non-updated older applications. And so they did a big purge in 2016 because obviously they'd never done it before. They they removed like 300,000 apps from the App Store. And it was like the first, I think it was like the only year where the number of apps in the App Store went down in total, just because Apple had to delete and remove so many in the, in the past. And then progress since that time, since 2016, they've done purges every few months, every few years or whatever. And it's not very clear what criteria they use to decide that an app is considered obsolete and must be updated by the developer, otherwise it is removed. Um, it seems to mostly affect free apps. So, i.e. the ones that customers are paying for, the ones that are subscription, the ones that are making money, they don't get affected even if they've been updated for years. Uh, You could cynically say that's because Apple just wants to keep making money off them, or you could say that customers are relying on them day in and day out, so Apple is less keen to get rid of them or yank them out of the store for no reason for stuff that people have paid for. Um, The free, it tends to... The Apple hasn't said specifically what you what criteria you have to comply to to not be considered an old unupdated app but basically it seems like if you haven't updated your app in like three years or so and it's free you're probably under fire for getting this warning and basically the email goes out you get a month to submit an update and then if you don't submit an update your app gets removed from the store this affects me i i didn't uh post a story but one of my apps actually falls under this rule and i got this email this time this is the first time i've received it and i got it for monster emoji which was my iMessage sticker, sticker pack, pack yeah that we made that uh, i made in 2018 and it's always been free oh actually that's might be it might be 99 cents for a little while but it's basically been free for most of its life right um and it's probably sold like in terms of like uh sold paid less than a thousand total since 2018 as free app it's probably done like a few couple of thousands like nowhere like not any crazy volume yeah you know my other apps ever make them free they can do like a thousand in a day as free not as paid but as free but the you know the imet who knew the imetted app store is a bit of a flop so my sticker back that didn't have any like brand ip it was just some cool little monster emoji stuff uh basically got no interest no one downloaded it in the scheme of things it, it, i'd be lucky if i saw a download a week and this is when it's free you know like no interest whatsoever at this point and so i got and i haven't updated it for years so i got an email about it i i, I guess i should submit an update just to keep it around because i don't really want to lose it but this is the, this is where i think that this policy is a bit silly because what my men to do just m- bump the version number and release the exact same app again yeah. and that's gonna apple's gonna be okay with that they're gonna let it carry on so i guess i'll do that and then just put like 
miscellaneous bug fixes in the release notes, even though nothing's changing because it's a sticker pack. Is this is a very simple sticker pack? Is this just sixteen images in an in an app binary and that's it? Like there's no executable code or anything. So it's just a weird like thing. And then what the problem is? What Apple wants you if you submit if you do submit an app update, the the app will get run on modern devices. And if a if a developer if the app review team find any incompatibilities, then they're going to flag it and not allow it to go through. So you can't just submit an update, not even check that it still works. And this doesn't affect me so much because the sticker pack's going to work. But like the 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 big complaint of this policy is like old games. So if you're a games developer, maybe you made a game ten years ago or five years ago, and you've released it, you've sold it, you made it free, whatever, and now Apple's saying they're going to get rid of it. Are you going to want? Does it make sense for you to dedicate engineering resources? to go and make the app not die or what's more likely going to happen because to do that you're going to have to pay an engineer to get the app to run on modern hardware maybe you have to make new screenshots and you know in some cases it's non-trivial work to get this to run quote as new again even though the app still kind of works um and if apple hadn't enforced this strict clear out the trash policy it could have lived on the app store very happily for years and years and years and nobody would have bothered right either people have downloaded it or they wouldn't have but now you're kind of it's down to the wine. You're like basically forced to spend ten grand, however much it costs, to get a developer and an engineering team to make the apps run at spick and span as new again, so they can pass out review to send the store. But what most people are going to do is ignore the email, not want to spend that money because they're focused on their modern projects. They're actually doing well, and then the apps just get removed forever. And then you have like digital archive. You know, there's no there's no internet archive for the app store, so these things just get lost to time, which is kind of sad. So. I don't really know where I come down on this. It is just kind of an awkward situation. Like, I'd wish that stuff like this didn't just get summarily deleted for no reason. But at the same time, I understand that Apple wants to have at least some degree of curation of the app. So maybe a better balance would be Apple continues to host the app forever, but it doesn't appear in search results or they're, they're like really deprioritizing search results. So no person can accidentally be come across this stuff that apple deems it's in, essentially and, it's delisted and it's never going to be up showing up in the editorial but then again most things are never showing up in editorial either yeah uh, and it, it would it, would, it, ha- it has to be that the developer is in their their annual 100 bucks a year account too so mm-hmm. if you don't pay your 100 bucks then your app's going to be removed because of that reason too right um, mm-hmm. yeah i i had the sticker pack situation where uh, and I, I didn't make the connection, but it was it was this that the free one uh, went away within a couple of years for not being updated at all, and then the one that was paid that still had revenue that one went away because I didn't maintain like my developer. Account. Yeah, your sticker pack was more successful than mine. Let's put it that way. It was well, I'm a really good marketer, so <laughs> it, yeah, <laughs> it it, uh, it it went away because it was like some you know, compliance form online that I just never bothered to deal with on, on the developer account side. And so that, that's why it went away. Um, and in most situations, you know, it could have easily been avoided if I would have actually cared to maintain it. But um, the truth was, it, is that I had long blown away those fold, the folder structure that was the app, <laughs> the sticker pack, and it, there was no coming back. You know, it, it was interesting when it was new in 2015, 2016, but um, you know, that, that was it, which is, you know, and, and so it's like trivial, but in the case of some of these things where, um, you know, I, I think it probably should come down to, you know, if, if Apple is going to make the effort to 
bother you about having to update or remove your app, then, you know, if it works, leave it alone. If, if, if there's, if there's reports of, you know, or just automatic testing of it doesn't work, and just say, crashes on launch or something. Yeah, that's, different. that's a bit different. Yeah, and you say, hey, you know, we're we're still hosting this thing, and it doesn't work. So, you, and that's just a whole other set of rules. And I know? think they might actually do that at least right, for right. Yeah. more popular applications. Like if you if if I have an app on the store and I don't maintain it, and it's not like super old, but it just starts crashing a lot. Sometimes you will get an email from App Review being like, you you need to sort this out, mate. I don't know what. I don't know whether it's manual or random selection or automated or whatever, but those emails do go out. But that's obviously then in addition to this, like what to, to me just seems like older than X number of years without an update and it's free. That gen- that's like they haven't said the exact criteria, but that seems to be approximate an approximation of it. I think it's probably fair to say that that the 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 um, sentiment behind the the this policy is that they don't want to have a bunch of old craft on the app store. They want to have yeah. some level of newness to it, and not just. Everything that's ever been submitted. They can have a lot of new craft on the App Store instead. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Uh, and maybe the argument for it is that you're um, you're you're cleaning the App Store now, um, and for you know what could be a problem down the road. So if you if you clean everything that's that's you know abandoned, you, you're better to get somebody to update their app if it's been abandoned or, or you know or feature completed in the last two or three years. Than you are too if it was you know eight or ten years ago. And you're like, well, no, that's ridiculous. It's really it's been there the whole time. You're going to remove it now. So um, they they you know whoever's buying this policy probably has some some uh, logic to it. But it definitely have to be sympathetic to the the developers that say, look, this thing's feature complete. It's a completed product. There's nothing to do to it. You know, um, but at the same time, you're not seeing like it isn't like you're seeing major apps that are. You know, beloved, go away because they haven't been touched. That's not the case, unless yeah. Right. And the kind uh, of Apple bit rot, loss of time issue, it affects the app store, but it does affect the web as well. Like, oh yeah, any it, a domain is like the weakest way to, mm-hmm. you know, easiest way to break something on the web is to not renew the domain. Yeah, yeah you go back to any old non-formatic article, and it's quite easy to f- click on a link, and it just four hundred four because stuff happens and. The, the sources aren't available anymore so it's not just a closed ecosystem app store problem it affects a lot of stuff but in this case it is act, apple proactively removing stuff that maybe they shouldn't need to but then at the same time you can see why they want to do it so it's a hard problem but it's a it, it was just funny because this this came up and it's like the entire of apple twitter was going on about it for like one day as if it's like a brand new policy which isn't really well I, I, last thing i say on it is it's probably like any other scenario where there's like a bad app review decision that there's probably because this is a policy they have, there's probably apps that get caught up in the crosshairs that there shouldn't be. And that's why, because mm-hmm. if it was just a bunch of like, who cares apps, then nobody would care. Uh, next up, we've got, uh, this, this is big. Uh, the Apple Cedar display has a firmware update. Woohoo! In, in beta, this is for the webcam. And uh, if it's it's that you, uh, if you run the, the Mac OS beta version on your Mac, connect <laughs> i guess on any mac connected to to this the, the display you can update your display to run the beta version of of the the firmware that has what apple i would say considers to be the fix with the webcam yeah uh, so so it isn't that you can say okay on my macbook air i don't want to run a beta version of mac os on it but i do want to try out this new firmware update for the for the display so let me just update the display you can't do that but you could say I've got two Macs. They can both connect to the, dis- the display. 
let me do the beta on one Mac and I'll update the display with, with that beta Mac and then I'll go back to using my stable. It kind of, kind of makes me think they should let you just do the do the beta version on the display, but this is probably the only time that we'll care about a beta version of firmware. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Like, these firmware updates for these accessories come yeah. along so infrequently that most yeah. of the time it doesn't really matter. This is and this probably is like, the only interesting one ever. This is, yeah, this is yeah. going to be like the most high-profile uh, software update to the Apple CEO display, I imagine, ever. Yeah, yeah. fortunately, no you know, I, I do have the display, and, and even though I, I don't care to do the beta, just, just you know, open the webcam and make a couple of comparisons, um, lots of other people uh, have done that. And so we can we kind of have a sense of, you know, well, A, is this the fix or not? You know, because it could just be that there's a beta version of firmware and it doesn't acknowledge the webcam. Well, that wasn't the case. It, it does have a bunch of changes, um, you know, behind the scenes that that try to attempt to, you know, improve the webcam quality. And then we can see, you know, B, what are people who have these things? You know, what are their before and after shots? Um, you know, in, in some cases, what are the the what, one running the the new version, one running the original firmware? You know, how do they how do they compare? Um, what what do you think? Like I said, I haven't I haven't ran it on my own mm-hmm. yet. I don't have a shoe display, so I haven't also haven't run it on my own. Sure, but I've seen the online examples. Jason Snell had a, some videos and stuff where he had basically had both just he had two shoe displays side by side, one updated with the firmware and one not, which gave a pretty good comparison, at least in his lighting environment. And you know, unmistakably, the update makes it better for a start. It's not cropped in quite as much. And remember, a center stage camera is taking like a 12 megapixel canvas and then cropping inwards, which then allows it to be panned around to get that fake um, camera move, right? And so if you if you crop in slightly less, slightly less aggressively, you've just got more pixels that you haven't removed. So it's going to be slightly higher resolution and slightly higher in detail in that way. Also, I think the previous default crop of the center stage camera that you display was too close anyway. So now it's at a more reasonable degree, as well as helping with fidelity. But it's not just the crop. They have obviously tweaked the algorithms and the processing. So now the contrast decisions are different. The noise reduction decisions are different. The coloration of the image is different. And I think from the test images we saw from the studio display in the reviews, every kind of photo looked very flat, very kind of grayish, like skin tones almost looked like you had like a palliative problem that you weren't like a healthy human. It was like really like a pink you know a slight pinkish skin tone would be like white and it was like blowing out the colors and stuff and that definitely seems to be resolved at least in the examples that i've seen uh, and now i would say the studio display running the beta firmware produces the same kind of contrast coloration saturation as the ipad pro center stage camera as the ipad ninth generation center stage camera um because they are the same camera hardware it was just a very weird, bizarre firmware situation where the studio display was doing different processing, um, which made the colors and stuff be way out of whack. So it's not like this is um, placebo or, you know, magic juice or like it is better. It is 100% better. And I would say now it is up to the level that I expected it to be based on looking at the spec sheet that the fact is the camera included in the studio display is the same sensor as what's included in the iPads. I think some people maybe got a bit too invested in what Apple said about there's going to be an update and was expecting the software update to completely revolutionize the output of this image sensor and it was going to show you something completely different and way higher resolution, way higher quality. And that obviously hasn't happened. It's still a 12 megapixel ultra wide sensor being cropped in because that's how center stage works across every single device. And so if you were expecting like, 
you know the iphone front camera resolution and and picture quality you're going to be disappointed because this software update will not give it to you did when uh, the ipad pro the previous model came in the or I guess this current model came out ipad pro um i don't i mean i, I know i tried to shade like that was one of the interesting things about that model especially the 11 inch because the 12.9 inch has the the new you know screen type um but I don't, you know, I feel like the iPad Pro probably had more attention than, than the display does. And I don't recall that being like, oh, this is a huge step back in terms of the the, the, the front-facing camera quality. Um, this is my argument. Mm, this yeah. is what I'm about to say. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, we'll proceed then. If, 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 you, <laughs> if you imagine that it had always shipped with this firmware. Sure. Yeah. I don't think there would have been any much as criticism or attention on it. Hmm. There still would have been because Apple in its marketing, promoted this as a very high-quality camera in a $1,600 display, okay? Yeah. But I think the, the quality that it's at right now in the beta is an acceptable webcam quality, i.e. FaceTime, Zoom, that kind of thing. It's probably fine, and that is proven by the fact that that is what people use the front camera for on their iPads, and the iPad Pro 2021, the most recent iPad that just came out before Christmas, the iPad Air, the new iPad Air, the iPad Mini with center stage, all of these center stage products have shipped. People have said the image quality, people have done side by sides. Yeah, it may be not quite as good as a dedicated 1080p camera or something, but it's fine and you get a cool effect where you can zoom around the room and have multiple people in the frame and stuff. So if the studio display had shipped with this firmware, I don't think there would have been the the gate, the outrage, the out, the, the upset that there obviously has been. And what's happened is the so much attention was then put on that little sensor because of the outrage that now people had even more elevated expectations about it being even better than it ever could be given what the hardware is. So that's kind of my take on it is that, yeah, from the beginning, maybe Apple shouldn't have done a center stage camera. They should just put a high quality standard webcam in there. But I think center stage is kind of cool and it's going to be a very very subjective individual choice about whether you would prefer to have a sense edge camera in the studio display or a standard webcam that would be slightly higher resolution and slightly higher in contrast and stuff um i think going for center stage was fine but it is kind of funny that i would say that their decision to choose a center stage camera over a standard webcam like what we saw in like the 2017 iMac pro um that decision was probably the most adventurous thing apple did with the studio display and the mac studio because the rest of the products are quite conservative, you know, the same panel, there's the same design, like quite boring and just kind of felt like they were ticking the boxes to make people happy. And they were like, you know what? We're going to put some extra spice in here. We're going to do a center stage camera on the Mac for the first time in a studio display in, a, in any Mac. And here it is. And people, a lot of people now kind of resent that decision and they would prefer if it was just a standard webcam that was slightly high quality. Well, so um, the... The biggest, it's like the, the most obvious like feature improvement that they've made that was embarrassing. Um, well, let's go back to like the, the day that re- the reviews came out. Um, mm-hmm. Neely Patel at The Verge, who was like, this webcam's terrible. Um, Joanna Serena Walsh Journal had a similar experience. Um, Kef Leswing at CNBC was, was similar. Uh, I believe Jason Snells was like, yeah, it's, it's the center stage feature isn't like it, it, it's, it's, he was more concerned about the way that, that center stage itself behaved than the webcam quality. Uh, and then John Gruber's review came out later than, you know, uh, as typical. Uh, and then it was like, yeah, this is a bad webcam. So, um, so it, it, that was interesting. And so I think so, the, the things that like Snell pointed out where when you turn off center stage and it's no longer doing the crop or it chooses, it, it no longer follows you, it chooses like a fixed crop on you instead. Um, you know, 
it, it's kind of like your nose up is in the frame and then you yeah. tilt the display towards you. So in using the display, you know, having, having owned it now and, and not having the beta firmware on there yet, like that, it, that's really, um, that's one of the most egregious errors of this is like, did you not try that? Because no, I, I don't think any, uh, well, I don't know, but I don't think it's typical to have your display um, tilt towards you versus, you know, at the top when you're like looking up at it, that seems pretty bad ergonomically. Um, like looking down at it a little bit or looking straight on at it feels more natural for me at least. And, um, and, and in every situation when I would try that, it would always be that I would uh, like adjust the display angle to address like the, the, like just a little bit to adjust the massive shifts and like where the focus went, you know, when you turn off center stage. So, so I think that was the incorrect crop before and they've, uh, I think they fixed that from what he was showing in the video at least. So that's, yeah, good. I think it is better. It's further down for sure. That's good because, you know, when I, when I was using center stage, even on, well, before it was on the 12.9 inch iPad and that was in sort of kind of a desktop environment because it was attached to a monitor with the iPad just open on the, you know, on the desk and mouse and keyboard attached to it. So it was as close as like, you know, you know, ergonomically, like you're you're up and moving around and things like that, and so you get the center stage experience where it follows you around the room, and you can still see like very large what's in front of you. So, um, it, I I think it's a good feature. I think that the you know a lot of the debate has been around. Well, if they do ultra wide, are they just never going to have the kind of quality that you'd want in a webcam that you could get before with with a regular you know um, with sensor and um hmm my 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 yes take, is the answer. <laughs> my my take is that it's like you know. It's, uh, go up to 4k on the sensor like you, you you don't you don't like apple has a range of sensors and their webcams and computers you know like you go as low as 480p on the 12 inch macbook <laughs> it was really bad but it was also really thin and you know it's like okay i get it and uh it wasn't cheap it was 1300 but you know it was there you know you had it, that was the worst webcam in a notebook and then you go to 720p on, on most of them, 1080p on like Pro and um, you know, new iMac and like the that. latest MacBook Pros, like the one I've got, it's exactly. 1080p. Yeah, I believe my MacBook Air is 720, and then you've got a 1080p in your Pro, and I think all the iMacs now. The reason iMac is 1080p, um, they haven't gone 4K and a built-in webcam, but they do recommend when you have the XDR display, a Logitech's like magnetic attach on 4K webcam. And it's not insane. Uh, I think it's three hundred dollars. They and that's like a dedicated webcam, so it's got depth to it and width to it and everything instead of just being like a small sensor. But you know, I, I bet they could have an inferior version of that. But but you know, the resolution though, which like so you wouldn't have the what you know. One thing you do with that is there's a lot of settings you can adjust, and they could have settings for the for the webcam built in, you know, to the to the studio display. But um, if you just had more you know, pixels to work with, then that would probably help, I imagine. Yeah, no, no. If you wanted <laughs> if you wanted best picture quality, they'd probably scrap the ultra wide center stage stuff and just have a lower res like slightly lesser version of the kind of sensor you see in that external webcam, but it'd be four K, you'd get higher pixel resolution, more detail, essentially. I mean, I, so it seems like the choice on, on a twenty seven inch ought to be maybe it's H D ten eighty P no center stage or it's 4k center stage because i feel like because at that point the crop is you know as as you could go up to a quarter of the crop and it'd be 1080p still um it's when you crop 1080p that it gets pretty bad and i think it's not just resolution it's also like if you're using an ultra wide sensor the light that comes into the sensor is a lot less than a standard lens so like although it might be 4k resolution it's more grainy it's more noisy because it's just not getting the amount of light in to get the resolution it needs so that's a factor too. Yeah. And then I guess the last thought for me on this is um, 
well, is it better? You know, I think you, you say you think it's, it's fine now. This wouldn't have gotten the attention. Uh, I think it's mostly true, especially for like the way that it crops. I, I think it could be better still. I'm not saying it's like, you know, you're not going to hold this up as a great webcam. It's yeah. like, I'd say acceptable, like meets the bar of acceptability where the shipping version didn't. Yeah. Um, there's not consensus on that though, like at least online and, and what we've seen and mm-hmm. some of the results that people are showing everything. Um, I was surprised when Neilai Patel the Verd said, ah, oh, it's, looks good now like you know it's actually as good uh this is what he was expecting so i was surprised by that um there were other results that were just like it's it's different it's better but it's nowhere near as good as you know um just an imac webcam without center stage uh you know so so <laughs> I, I you know not to stay helpful but you could say well they haven't released it yet you know like for so <laughs> they, they could further tweak it you know in beta 2 it's yeah. gonna be 8k quality i mean so have you seen that have you seen the things where people post the histogram which is like you know the basically basic photographer tools for like is how how balanced is this picture yeah um, and it's like very poor from the and, and i can't read a histogram i don't know but people say well if you look at the histogram on this thing it's as bad as what you think it would be based on the way that the image looks um and that there's more that they could do to to so that that makes me wonder, huh, maybe maybe they'll take another shot at this before they actually release it. And that's why they haven't just, I don't know, released it yet, because it seems like they could just it, it isn't so much that this is a beta. It's a it, it's released through the beta version of Mac OS, and then it will come out, you know, when when that update comes out, I guess. But Yeah, I don't think the behavior will change between now and shipping in any meaningful capacity. Why did they they would just wait longer if they were still working on it? They didn't have to do it right this second. Maybe, maybe. But that's well, my kind of that's my view on that anyway. <laughs> I, I would know. say I, it's I, a better webcam than what I have in my MacBook Pro. If you want a comparison, like because everyone's like, oh, this is a terrible webcam. It's disgraceful. It's horrible. I think the MacBook Pro webcam is adequate for video chat. And so, if you're all you care about is video chat stuff, just casually, not doing it professionally for a podcast or professionally to go on TV, just chatting with your friends that kind of thing zoom remember you're going to anytime you're using a zoom or facetime you're also then crunched by streaming bandwidth and stuff as well so the the re, any like extra resolutions are going to get crushed and the MacBook pro webcam despite being in this massive notch area i would say looks worse than the shots from the studio display if people out there in the real world want to want an idea about it i wouldn't hold up the MacBook pro as being like wow this is fantastic so the studio display being slightly better than that and supporting center stage that's why i say it's now at a level of acceptability um, right. And in an alternate reality where desktop, <laughs> where the desktop Mac, whether that's a, just through a display or through an iMac, was a critical part of Apple's business, like as popular as an iPad or a watch or an iPhone, then of course there would be more investment here. There'd be more innovation here. Like they could even have a dual webcam setup where you have a 4K fixed focus webcam and you have a, a, a 12 megapixel center stage webcam in a little dual module and it could like intelligently switch between the two depending on what you're doing or depending if it sees two people in the frame or you've gone off super off angle. There's loads of cool stuff they could do, but the desktop Mac is not Apple's priority, so they're never going to bother with any of that. You know, who to blame though is Facebook because the Facebook portal is where this feature originated really where they have a camera and a Facebook And I assume thing. that Apple's Facebook portal future in terms of the soundbar integrated Apple TV thing with a FaceTime camera is going to have center stage sure. kind of yeah. situation. And hopefully in a massive soundbar that can sit on a table, it will have a bigger sensor than what they fit into their displays. Yeah. That'd be my yeah. hope. 
uh, do you think there's any chance that Apple like changes the hardware and a revision to this without like like quietly changes it or or even quietly changes it? No, yeah. I think that maybe Apple Studio Display Two in three or four years, maybe they have a different choice of what webcam to use. Maybe they have a high quality ultra wide. Maybe they change to a fixed focus camera. That'd be. I don't think it would change between them. Happy Out this week is also sponsored by New Relic. As well as doing this podcast, I make apps. If you're a software engineer like me, you'll relate to this. It's late at night, you're unwinding, and bing, 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 your phone is buzzing because something has gone wrong. The app isn't working, the server's down. Whatever's happening, there's a mad scramble to try and figure out what has gone wrong. Modern software is so complicated, and there are so many layers of the stack that could be the fault. What New Relic does is offer comprehensive and precise system monitoring so you can quickly hone in on the problem and then fix it. You don't want to have to need to deploy the entire team messaging each other at 9pm to try and debug the issue. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products into one that you'd normally have to buy separately, but instead it's an all-in-one offering. So engineering teams across the front end and the back end can see the entire software stack in one place. And that's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. So whether you're running a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9pm call is just waiting to happen, so get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the whole New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data, free forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash happy hour. That's spelled N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash happy hour. One more time, newrelic.com slash happy hour. Thanks to New Relic for sponsoring the show. All right, the good news this week is uh, if, if you do want to service your, your Apple products, you can now order the parts on your own and buy the tools and buy the parts and you can like if you want to change the webcam on, on your display, you can just change it now, right? That's that's the self service repair store. It's 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 live. <laughs> we're not, we're they don't sell they don't sell Mac parts. Not yet, not yet. Yeah, yeah. So they they missed Earth Day by. It, it seems so intentional that they did this. <laughs> it was like this whole this whole thing where um, last week they they were showing their robot, you know, not new, but their iPhone recycling robot, and um, you know, ask about when are you going to do this repair sort of program that you promised last year. And they said late this year, and then the next week it just goes, comes up online. So the self-service repair store is available. Um, this was Apple's commitment, not voluntarily, but sort of to um, you know push off some criticism and also mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, legal w- pressures, government pressures. Yeah, w- w- work within the lines of of, of the law. Uh, <laughs> at least they could do, and and they've they've done that uh, starting with the iPhone uh, what thirteen and and uh, and, 12. and twelve, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and that's it for now. But um, it's the program's there. You, you can check it out. Yeah, and they say later this year it'll roll up to M1 Max as well. So you better get M1 Max parts too through this site. Yeah, this site is a massive success. It is hilarious. Like this, the, the 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 press release went up, but if and and that had a direct link to this website. But if someone had like sent this website to us through the tips inbox and said this is an Apple official website. You would never believe in a million years. I clicked on the link from the press release. My first comment was like, this looks like a phishing site. It just looks like one of those things you turn up on accidentally and then it's going to like download a virus or try and get you to enter like your, your information and pretend to be someone that they're not. Like, 
It's not made by Apple, clearly. It's outsourced to a third party. It's the most generic website design in the world, except it has genuine Apple parts with a green check mark and Apple tools with a green check mark written on it and a picture of an iPhone. Like, the website design is incredible. And even more generically, it's just called the self-service repair store for Apple products. It's not the Apple self-service repair store, like the Apple authorized store or the Apple refurbished store. It's the self-service repair store for Apple products. And the URL for this website, it's not host on Apple.com reflecting that it's being run by a third party. But the URL is not like Apple self-service. Da, 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 da. It's the most generic thing in the world. And I'm, in, I, I'm, I'm amazed this domain was available. It's just self-service repair dot com that's what took so like, long getting the domain it's almost like this website could be ready to have other companies products listed on it at some stage because they didn't put apple in the url at all it's just self-service repair dot com but all it stocks is apple parts and you can get currently you can get display hardware you can get camera hardware and you can get battery hardware it's a and and they've kind of suggested down the line they'll probably roll out other um tools and components for you to do other replacements too but the idea is if you don't want to use apple's very convenient service of getting stuff fixed at the apple store you can instead do it on your own by going to this website you have to read manuals so a really nice thing that's that comes part of this is hosted this is again one of the funny parts of how this is like an outsource combination partnership thing that there's a link on the self-service repair dot com website to read the manuals but you click on that and it takes you to an apple support page where they host all the manuals so apple loves to be the have their brand and their name attached to the manuals but not the actual like store where you buy the bits so you go to the self-service repair website you first have to then click out to go to the manuals page on apple.com find the manual for your device look up the manual see if there's a repair there that you need let's say a battery for instance so you've got an iphone you've got an iphone 13 pro you your battery's dying you want to get a new battery before today, your options were go to an Apple store, pay them $69 to get it replaced, go to an Apple authorized reseller and pay them $69 to send it off to an Apple store or the depot, you know, the Apple store depot to get it serviced and replaced. Uh, you could, I guess, go to iFixit or some other similar aftermarket service and get parts from there and do it themselves. Or what most people do, I think, is they just go to their like local phone repair shop because um, there's like loads of those dotted around, at least in Britain, and I assume it's similar overseas as well and they're not apple official they just do whatever they do probably buying like mass market parts from iFixit or something and they repair your your phone's battery or whatever and give it back to you usually at a cheaper price than what apple offers well now you have a new option which is to do the repair yourself and so to do that you go to this website you go to the manuals you find the manual for your phone let's say an iphone 13 pro you scroll all the way down to the uh, battery the area where they talk about replacing the battery then it shows you on your left in this pdf what components you actually need to do the repair i.e the battery cell itself and what tools you need to be able to open the phone put the battery in the right place close it all up certify it blah blah blah, blah using the exact same uh processes and guarantees and verification tests as an apple store uh technician would use themselves so you've gone to the manual, you found the parts. So now you have to go back to the selfservicerepairworld.com website. You have to start your order. You find the battery kits. And they, to be fair to them, they have like a an iPhone 13 Pro battery bundle. So you can buy it all in one go just by clicking a button. Now, you buy it. It comes to you. That costs you 
$71 to buy up front. Okay, so that's just the battery bundle. So that's basically just the battery that you need to put the phone in. However, to open the phone, you also need those aforementioned tools like the pentalobe screws because Apple uses non-standard screws on the phone. So your options there are you can buy the parts individually outright on the selfservicerepair.com website and they cost however much they cost. Alternatively, you can rent a big like Pelican case full of Apple tools for only $49 for one week. And at the end of the week, you then have to ship it back to them. Now, you may ask, why would anybody uh, rent a $49 kit to get a screwdriver out of it? Because obviously, if you're doing a battery repair, you probably don't need the big toolkit. But if you're doing a display repair, this toolkit includes like clamps and mounts and all this crazy stuff that you can like insert your iPhone into and it like holds it in place while you carefully peel apart it as suction cups for the screen, like all this jazz. And I think if you buy all the parts in the toolkit, the rented toolkit individually, it costs you like $2,000 or something insane. So if you only want to do one repair, it probably doesn't make sense for you to buy $2,000 worth of stuff to do one repair. You're just going to rent this for a week. So let's, but, so let's say in the battery case, let's be optimistic. You don't need the big Apple toolkit. You don't even need to buy the Apple version of the screwdriver. You can buy the, the tools from iFixit or somewhere else. So you've already bought the tools. Let's ignore that cost. You've just paid $71 to get a battery bundle. You do the repair yourself, taking on all the risk and the worry and the chance of it going wrong yourself. There's no warranty protection. If, it, if the phone breaks while you do the repair... You're the one who's going to have to buy a new phone. Unlike if you went to an Apple store where if they break your device where you're doing a repair, they'll give you a new device. You do the repair. Okay. Now you're left with the new battery inside the iPhone, the working iPhone, hopefully, that you've done it right and followed the manual to the letter, and the old battery that was dysfunctional, was run out, or was discharging, whatever. Now what you can do is return, in a little shipping box, the old battery to Apple through the self-service repair website and they will recycle it for you. And as an incentive for doing the recycling and returning the old components, they will give you a partial refund credit on your purchase. So I think in the case of the um, battery bundle, it's about $23 or something, which means if you had you paid $71 up front, you did the repair, you sent your old battery back to them, so you, you get a credit back of $23, your effective cost for the repair is about $48. And you repaired the phone yourself. That's a big old deal and a big lot of steps to still have to pay $48 to get this thing fixed when the Apple Store option, which you can do in-store or you can just ship off by mail, costs you $69 and they take on all the risk. They do the labor. They do the whole thing. You don't have to worry about buying tools or anything else. And that kind of price differential is roughly, the, it, it varies, but it's roughly the same for display, battery, camera, whatever kind of replacement you're trying to do. Generally, the Apple version will be may be more expensive. So if you're going purely on cost economics, I don't think this self-service thing makes any sense at all because I I personally wouldn't want to risk breaking my entire device for the $20 saving. I'd rather send it off to their official place and let them do it for me. Um, So on raw economics, you're not really saving any money. I don't think that was much... (laughs) I don't think that comes as too much a surprise because we know Apple doesn't really want you to do this thing. It's kind of there just to comply with the law and can show they're doing the right thing to regulators and stuff um so it was never going to be significantly cheaper than what the apple store cost you i was maybe expecting slightly more of a discount compared to what was there but okay that's what that was what happened if you 
don't care about the cost and you're enthusiast, it's kind of cool that now you can do this if you really want to and you know you're getting Apple genuine parts. Like if, you were, if you're already doing aftermarket battery replacements yourself or at those little shops, now you can do those same battery replacements but be assured in the knowledge that you're getting a verified battery out of it at the end of the day, which is kind of cool. But as a general mainstream thing, I don't think anybody should do this. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody that I know. Just just pay Apple to do it. Or get a third party company to do it that would you know, that if if like if it's an older phone and you don't really care about Apple's premiums, just go to a phone repair shop. They'll be able to replace your battery for you and do it right every single time in almost every case. Uh, it'll it'll be more interesting, I think, from the Mexicom, uh, because I don't I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe it's, it's it's tricky for the Max, but this stuff makes me look it makes me feel very nervous looking at the guides for for the iPhone repairs. Um, mm-hmm. It's the last two generations of phones. Who knows how long they'll be supported anyway? iFixit's complaint is that they still require you to do the uh, IMEI or or serial number pairing. That it's not just here's a part. We we promise it works with the phone, but that you've you've got to. You know, you've got to almost say, "I have this phone." Before I can, you basically it. got to register for everything you buy by right. putting in your own account number or device ID. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, to them, like philosophically, that that doesn't meet the bar compared to what other companies do. So, um, you know, but 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 they they acknowledge this closer to what what you know they 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 are hoping people do. So, um, all in all, I mean, I don't know. This makes me makes me super nervous to look at this stuff. I would would not do it. Um, the Mac stuff, but just because things are bigger, maybe it isn't as hard. Um, although, like I'm looking at a MacBook Air, and that seems as difficult as a phone would be. Yeah, I mean, uh, Apple isn't dividing their devices to yeah. be serviced. Yeah, but that yeah. way. So yeah. these things are all difficult in various one ways or the other. And all the M1 Mac generations, they're you know the 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 devices are a bit bigger, but the core logic board and the display components it's all basically iPhone. the same as an iOS device. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is is there any? So so we know iPhone thirteen, iPhone twelve, um, presumably going forward at some. Point oh, and the iPhone SE third generation as well. Sorry, I meant yeah, to mention that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is, is iPad just rolled out? Is the Apple Watch rolled out? Or do they? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I, who knows? I mean, maybe eventually they'll do it, but. The, the the truth is most people do like what is the biggest number one item for apple on any on any metric it's the iphone so where who what's their what's their biggest repair flow through the apple store yeah. for G, the, the genius bar it's the iphone so they prioritize that i guess that might be enough for them alone to satisfy the onlooker of the governments and right to repair and that kind of stuff and environmental concerns uh if it's not then i guess they'll roll it out to other products too they already said they're doing max at least so but something like an Apple Watch is going to be really hard for an individual to repair, I would think. It, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. It's yeah, yeah. We'll 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 see how this thing evolves over the years. But for now, it seems like people aren't really thought about it. Uh, I, I haven't. I I, I fixed it. Uh, overview of just okay, good. You did the bare minimum, but you're still requiring this this pairing stuff. That's not happiness. Like, oh, well, have they really satisfied anybody? Maybe they've just satisfied you know uh, regulators, and that, that's all. So. And by the way, I should say that the interface for buying all these parts and tools and stuff, I believe it's very, very similar to what you can do if you are an Apple authorized reseller. It's the same model. You buy the parts, you you register the number, the customer gets their thing swapped, and then you send back the old non-working components back to Apple and they give you a credit afterwards. Mm. So it's not just like this is a thing that's anti-individual. This is just their policy in general for most repair stuff. So this is this is their structure this is how their 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 infrastructure is set up this is their policy this is their work you know business plan for repairs or whatever you want to call it 
and they've just now basically opened it up to individuals uh, with a rather suspect looking website <laughs> yeah well even with that i mean they didn't go out of their way to be punitive there they just didn't go out of the way to make it polished at all they have a nice little thing a live chat option in the bottom right so if you have feedback or questions you can talk to somebody that isn't apple but is affiliated with apple i think it's kind of cool but it's also just something that i would never really do it's, it's there to tick a box at the end of the day and it's kind of funny to look at uh, if you were expecting like apple branded screwdrivers or super stuff it's it's not really that it's just not not necessarily generic components but like unbranded apple apple authenticated components let's put it that way like you can't go and really buy a cool screwdriver set from this website and it have like the apple logo on it that's not really what's going to happen the the expensive stuff in the 49 dollars rental toolkit is just like clamps and big and it, it it weighs a fortune one thing i should say on the environmental axis obviously what i've said in this process especially if you're doing the rental thing there's a lot of shipping involved. So if, you, if you're looking purely in environmental impact, not the greatest uh, contribution to the earth, I wouldn't think, with the amount of shipping that has to go along, like three times back and forward, back and forward. Uh, so that's something to consider. I mean, and I, then... I, I, think, I think right to right repair to is... Uh, the, the idea is you... It, it appeals to the person that... Um, you know, not not just having your own shop, but just say that you've you've you want to be self sufficient, and you 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 uh, you amass the tools over time anyway for for you know all kinds of electronics. And at any given point, you know, like if you buy the tools today, they'll probably they'll probably you know probably probably apply to plenty of generations of iPhones. And so, you know, the plus of this is if you actually are just it's your philosophy that you want to be able to service this yourself without having to pay somebody without having to deal with the hassle of going somewhere and you're fully capable that you're not like, I mean, you're not nervous from the, from the manuals, but this is all within your wheelhouse. Then, um, you know, philosophically, there's no reason it wasn't what could have been possible before. It was just Apple just didn't, didn't, you know, make, allow you to, and now you can. And so in that regard, um, you know, it isn't appealing to everybody, but if, if that's the kind of thing that you're, um, you, you feel is, is something that you should be able to do. And now you can for the most part. Yeah. And a big, complaint about the right to repair movement on apple is that availability of components has to be there for the long term i.e you, you you're buying your phone you should be able to use it for five ten years so this self-service repair website is a bit ineffectual if in five years time they're no longer stocking iphone 12 components for sure. instance so hopefully they stock iphone 12 components from now until the next decade you know do you know what i mean it has to have a long run of support otherwise it's kind of not really meeting the original idea or or fantasy yeah or or stock up now if you're concerned yeah <laughs> but only one at a time because you have to register the IMEI number which is probably one of the reasons why they've done that to stop super abuse of mass purchasing finally this week happy hour is sponsored by upstart if you're carrying the burden of high interest debt perhaps that's multiple credit cards and only paying the minimums each month that's just a tough situation to ever see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's very discouraging, and often it can be even harder to ask for help. So try and get out of the cycle by using Upstart. Upstart can help because it's Upstart offers powered personal loans that help you pay down high-interest debt all online with simple and easy-to-understand payment terms. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, Upstart can help you get one fixed monthly payment with a clear and transparent payoff date. Upstart has already helped more than 1.8 million customers on their path to financial freedom. Rather than looking at just your credit score, 
Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to help you find a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 without impacting your credit score. And you can receive funds in as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com slash happy hour. That's upstart.com slash happy hour to check your rate today. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income and certain other information provided in your loan application. One more time, go to upstart.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Upstart for sponsoring the show. All right. Apple has reported their uh, most recent quarterly earnings. This is for the uh, first three months of this year, I believe, January to March period. Mm-hmm. And uh, everything's positive. Uh, I think except for iPad, where iPad was constrained more than anything else. And so Apple didn't yeah. have to hit their goal on iPad. Um, but this is in the uh, era of really not giving much guidance. So it's hard to miss when you don't provide much guidance. Kind of just compared to to previous quarters, you know. Or yeah, they they only provide revenue. They don't provide units, and they don't provide next quarter guidance at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- these these earnings are never super super exciting, except when there's a you know a big um, explosion or something going wrong, and then you know that's unfortunate. But it's more interesting to discuss. But just over the years, these have gotten just way less interesting because of just how few you know apple does this because they they have to not because they want to and they they give out just way less information than they ever had before so yeah and they use covid as an excuse to stop reporting guidance of like revenue guidance for the next quarter yeah. maybe that will come back eventually because presumably at some point the investor base will get annoyed at that but for now i'm covid disruptions are still enough for them to get away with it mm-hmm. yep but uh i think the last earnings call that i actually thought was like interesting was like way back with the iphone 10r cycle because they had that big slump and so then they had to dash around because they when they're doing well they don't really have to say much substance of anything because they're just doing well when they're doing badly they have to come up with reasons and mitigations and future plans to address the problem so in the iphone 10r cycle that's when we saw them dive into like the trading program and you know the switch from upfront costs to paying month to month with installment plans just sold via apple like all that stuff that they were doing you know helping people update their phone and change them and trade them in and all like all this stuff was like a huge interesting thing in that time frame but they recovered from the iPhone XR slump within a few months. And then from then on, they've done, you know, they haven't really missed. So there's never really been Tim Cook on the ropes on an earnings call for a while. So we don't really get much interest out of it. Yep. The most interesting thing to me that I saw was that they basically said at a high level, supply constraints are significantly lower than they were in the December quarter. So COVID-related production problems, war-related production problems seem to be easing off pretty well so at least for apple they're seeing good signs there and like you said uh, ipad was down 2.2 percent year over year in terms of revenue apple blamed that on supreme supply constraints every other business segment was up quite a lot so there you go yep and and, you know you look at the business of of uh, of of, of services and they said that they have um (laughs) this is as big of a number as you can get but 825 million subscribers to services and i think the way that they, they count services is so, so they they used to break out like when they were proud you know we've got this many tens of millions of apple music subscribers and they stopped doing that you know i guess after they quit liking the numbers <laughs> mattering as much they've really never given tv numbers um you know the, the bundle doesn't help because 
Uh, first, it was like the the ninety day trial or or thirty day trial doesn't help, but then the bundle really doesn't help. And um, you know what actually is a, is a subscriber, but yeah, what counts as a subscriber? And like yeah. Amazon, like most of the streaming services don't really announce numbers, or at least like Amazon, Apple don't, and then the others are more vague. And you know, Netflix does release metrics, but people question their metrics, and yeah. like you know, like what even counts as a TV Plus subscriber, for instance, because. You know, you can pay for it directly, but I think most people get it through an Apple One bundle or they get it free from their carrier. And like, you know, Disney Plus, 30 million of their total subscribers are from India where they're only paying like one cent each and something sure. or it's free with a, a cell phone plan. Like all this stuff is like really complicated and hard to actually directly compare. But Apple releases no numbers at all. The big number they do release is the 825 million, which they say is for Apple services. But that includes that counts all third-party app subscriptions through the App Store. Yeah, that's the point I wanted yeah. to make is that, you know, if you let's just say that you are subscribing to Spotify through the App Store somehow, like if that, if that were a thing they, they did, then you would be an Apple service subscriber. <laughs> if you subscribe to this podcast sure. through the Apple Podcast subscriptions, sure. that in each and every single individual Apple Podcast subscription is included in that 825 if million number. If you subscribe to Netflix through their games... That's the thing you can do, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Then you're yep. then you're an Apple subscriber. Yeah. So. Yep. Think of the App Store. The entire 200 million apps or 200,000, you know, however many apps are on the App Store, all of them that offer subscriptions. Every single individual subscription counts in that 825 million number. So it number. really gives you no information about the performance of TV or um, fitness Music or, or anything. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like out of that 825 million probably 85 percent of that if not more is the third party subscriptions so like we never have any visibility into the other stuff i'm surprised at some point they they surely like because services is like their main growth story so i'm surprised there isn't more like um scrutiny or investors Mm -hmm. like demanding more visibility into that number like to to include app stores is so many third parties and and they are getting the revenue i mean they are giving the cut of the revenue and it's going to the app store and that's why the app store is under such attack you know and and (laughs) And and part at least is is because you know Apple's looking at that and saying look at all the money that we're earning you know look how many members we have, um, but yeah. You're, but like hardware businesses, they release revenue numbers separately for iPhone, Mac, iPad, and wearables, and then and then for services, it's just services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But surely there should be not, some not visibility in there. <laughs> yeah, not even Apple services and services. Yeah, I think if they, I'd be happy with that if they had two numbers. One was overall services, and then one was Apple, Apple content services subscriptions. Yeah. So it would still be an aggregate number, probably in the range. Of, you know, if you're guessing, it's because they the last number they released for Apple Music was like seventy million. So it's got to be a number bigger than seventy million. Let's say probably one hundred fifty million total. And if they release that number and you saw it go up every quarter, at least you're getting some visibility, and then you could guess about what breakdown of that is TV or Apple One or music or arcade or any of this other stuff. But they don't release any of that, so who knows? That's the thing is, if you if you're a member of an Apple service and you're paying Apple all of the money, and if you're a member of um, a service that is an Apple and you're just built at the App Store, you know, even at fifteen percent, like to say that you, that that you're an Apple service member because you're billed fifteen percent, you know, it's a lot to take off of the subscription service, but it's also a very small amount to say that you're a member. You know, you're fifteen percent. Yeah, maybe they should only count fifteen percent of like zero point one five per yeah. third party subscription to that total services number, for yeah. instance, just to so, give you a better idea. Yeah, so divide eight twenty five by 8. like if I was an investor, I wouldn't be happy with that. Yeah, yeah. It seems seems covering up. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Uh, so so that's earnings. That's, that's exciting uh and then and then um 
do they do they say much about going horror next quarter or just basically nothing at all gonna be better rosier <laughs> yeah they still say they're gonna have supply constraints from maybe the war or, or oh no so they're gonna have supply constraints from the recent china lockdowns okay sure yeah yeah um, and then uh, lastly this week, we've got a column from a uh, Chance Miller colleague who writes, and this is one of those things where I'm unsure if he has intel or if he's just guessing out loud, but <laughs> he, he, he wonders if uh, Apple could revive the um, the moniker for iPhone names plus, in this case, to dis- d- describe the iPhone 14 uh, 6.7 inch version that isn't pro. So uh, right now the iPhone lineup, you know, you have the iPhone 13 and 13 mini, iPhone 13 pro and iPhone 13 pro max. And the assumption this year, based on all the, the hardware leaks, is that you'll have an iPhone 14 and 14 Pro, same size, and then uh, 14 uh, Pro Max, the bigger one. Yeah, you need to say the sizes. So it's two 6.1 yeah. inches and then two 6.7 inches. Big and so small. We expect the, <laughs> yeah, so we expect the big and small Pro version to be the same names. Yeah. Be, why would they change it? iPhone right. 14 Pro, iPhone 14 Pro Max. Obviously, the 6.1 inch normal iphone is going to be iphone 14 yeah and then what do they call the 6.7 inch one yeah when it's virtually the same size uh it's just not on the same camera system and in this case this this year we believe the chip won't upgrade uh and 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 the the non-pro phones won't be getting the new notch design so like the the whole pole the whole the you know the pill punch hole pole hole punch punch, thing yeah Yeah, the hole punch uh and and hole uh is exclusive to the pro phones. That's yeah, what I was trying to say. Yeah, so chances, chances, wondering is, um, will they call? Will they say iPhone 14 and 14 Max as they do iPhone 14 Pro and iPhone 14 Pro Max, or will they say iPhone 14 and iPhone 14 Plus as they did with the iPhone um, 6, 6s, and 7 and 8? Um, in those cases, you you had Plus versions, not Max versions. Um, and that, and the you know, reason why I wonder is like, is that something that that I don't, I don't know that he knows, you know, kind of thing? Because mm-hmm. it seems kind of out of left field. Um, although I can see how you argue it, which is Max describes like the the most beefiest performance camera, everything, um, not just the screen size being bigger. And in this case, it's just that the screen size is bigger. You're not getting the most of performance out of the iPhone that you get, that you get. And that's where they could say plus is it just means bigger, not, not more. They don't use plus though on any other hardware at the moment, right? Yeah. They phased it out. Yeah. It did. And you, we so, don't, yeah. I mean, guessing Apple's naming schemes is like an impossible task. Cause like, I think plus probably makes more sense just in terms of like, that's why I wondered if you know something I don't know. Cause otherwise I'm like, why are you wasting my time chance? Making me think yeah. like this. <laughs> <laughs> but plus makes the most sense but that almost makes me not predict it because i feel like apple's yeah. going to do the dumb thing call it like max again i you know the argument for max is that they're going to trade this six they're going to push or tout this 6.7 inch phone as like the bee's knees it's basically a pro phone but it's way cheaper yeah and if you call it plus maybe that's a that highlights that difference whereas if they just call it the max and the only difference is pro max then People walk in the store, going to be like, "I'll just get the Max," and oh, here it is, and it's oh, it's only eight ninety nine. That's great. I'm going to get that one. Whereas if it was like iPhone fourteen plus, people are like, oh, plus, I want the Max one. Oh, that's really expensive. Okay, I'm not buying anything. Do you know what I mean? Like that. That's maybe the angle that they're going for. On the on the laptops, they use Max not for screen sizes. They use Max for CPU. So on that basis, if the only the A sixteen is going to the um, 
Pro phones, maybe is the iPhone 14 Max two sizes because that has the biggest yeah. CPU in it. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I think they just make it up as they go along. Yeah, yeah. No, no ultra yet though. And and then on Air plus would be a de- like if they if they revive plus, I'd be happy with it. I wouldn't be like, what the heck are they doing? I'm like, that makes sense. But I doubt they. I, I, if you press me right now. I'd say it's going to be the iPhone 14 Max. Yeah. Well, pri- prior to prior to this, I was wondering. I said he would just all assume that it all made sense, and now he's getting curious. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll see at least. <laughs> also, Plus means subscription. You know what I mean? That's what that's what Plus. Yeah, means. I mean they they now have that for Apple TV Plus and yeah, iPhone Plus is the News plan Plus. You, yeah, iPhone Plus is the model where you pay you know forever and, and you subscribe. I kind of wish they dropped the Plus from TV, not because like. Everyone brings it up as like, oh, the Apple TV Plus subscription service is so confusing because it's Apple TV, Apple TV Plus, Apple TV, Apple, that stuff. Like, and dropping the Plus would in a, arguably make it more confusing because there would be more things just called Apple TV. But I just hate saying the three-syllable word or like the four-syllable Apple well, and- TV Plus. Like, and, every, and I see in the wild, everybody just calls it Apple TV. Everybody. Or Apple Plus. That's the other one. It's either Apple TV or Apple Plus. And it's like... It'd be so much. Just drop the plus from the stupid name. People are going to your TV app for TV plus, like vast majority. You don't need to put the plus everywhere. So I kind of, if they brought plus back to the hardware and then dropped it from other services, I'd be well in favor of that. It's, it's, it's a hostage trade, I see. Okay. All right. That is the Happy Hour podcast for this week. Uh, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Apollo Zach. Benjamin, you're on Twitter at BZMA. And we will be back next week with a new episode. Bye, everybody. And you can subscribe and boost Apple's services numbers even more. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. In the Apple Podcast app for four ninety nine a month or four ninety nine per year, ad free. We appreciate everyone who does that. Right. See you next week, everybody. Bye, bye.